If you have your Bibles, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Mark chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 21 to 43. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. You got a Bible, you got an e-Bible, you got an iPhone, you got an app, whatever it is that you contain your Bible in. Let's read together. It says this, when Jesus had crossed again, when Jesus had, cro- had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. Let me just pause right there. Let me explain to you the modern day equivalent of this. This is the synagogue pastor. He is the leader. Think of him as the rabbi. The synagogue leader named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she would free from suffering. Now we're going to continue on to the portion we didn't necessarily read last week. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd, and he said, who touched my clothes? Other versions say the hem of his garment. You see the people crowded against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking... Some people from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, came and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? The teacher being Jesus. And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So this is Jesus. Jesus is now getting exclusive. He's saying, the rest of you folks got to stay home. These are the folks that I want to accompany me. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And here's what Jesus, so I I just want to get this picture across. Because sometimes we look at Jesus and we look at him, and I've said this probably time and time again in this church, we look at Jesus and we think of Jesus with the little kids coming to him, sitting on his lap, and Jesus is this really nice teacher, and he says nothing that ticks people off, he says nothing that offends people at all, but, but look at what Jesus does. They started to laugh at him, so here's what Jesus does. After he put them all out, so in other words, he said, everybody book it. You can't, you can't be here. You, you got no faith, you don't believe in what's about to go down, you don't believe in my ministry, leave. And let me tell you, every once in a while, that's healthy. It's healthy for your life. It's healthy for your family life. And it's also healthy in church life. If people aren't buying in and they're running against the current, sometimes it's time for them to check out and go. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. 
And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talita kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. And he gave everyone strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's just pray real quick. God, illuminate your word as we read your word. Speak to us boldly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to, last week I kind of focused on the woman with the issue of blood. This week I want to focus on this pastor. I want to focus on this man named Jairus. So we're introduced to this man at the beginning of the text. He's a religious leader who had many religious responsibilities among his people. So Jairus was a ruler over the synagogue. He was a holy man, and he was a man that believed in God. And this man was acquainted with problems such as his own. Think about that, right? I'm a pastor. Who do you think they call when someone gets sick? Me. I go. I pray with people. But what's the least thing that you expect, right? Your best friend's grandma has cancer, but you don't think your grandma can get it, right? Someone in your life is stuck with an affliction, but you never think that it could happen to you. Someone's kid is sick, but then it hits your home, and all of a sudden it becomes real. So this man is acquainted with all of this. He's the guy that they call when people are sick. He's the guy that they call when people need ministering to. And so he's very well acquainted with the path that his daughter's taking. And, and there were many from his synagogue over the years that he had tried to comfort when they had lost loved ones. And many in the synagogue called upon Pastor Jairus to visit them at the hospital or the clinics of those days with some sickness, maybe an accident, maybe a tragedy that had occurred. He had many home visits over the years to welcome new members as well as share in their grief process. So here's what we find. This well-respected religious leader is now faced with what can become a real tragedy that has taken camp in his house. And the Bible calls our attention to his daughter who was sick. So I just want you to think about this. This guy had the, base, the best HMO plan that could ever exist. They had everything. They did everything. They had tried everything that they knew to do. The doctors had finally probably said, it's no use. Your daughter's dying. There's nothing else that we can do as physicians for her. If you're a parent at all and you've ever had your child sick, you know that it not only takes a physical toll for you to care for them, But it takes an emotional toll on you. He may have likely questioned God or even blamed God for his misfortune. You ever been there before? Have you ever blamed God for some stuff that's going down in your life? I've been there before. He may have felt a mixed feeling of anger and maybe self-pity. You ever feel those moments in your life where you really don't even know how to feel? I'm a little bit of angry. I'm a little bit of sad. I'm a little bit embarrassed. I just really don't know how to feel. So what I can feel is the anguish of this father. I can only imagine the mixed emotions that he must have been wrestling with. Think about this for a second. Maybe he wanted to scream and holler, but he didn't know who to scream at or holler at. Maybe a feeling of helplessness and yet a great desire to do something but not knowing what to do. Maybe he even began to think, God, I've been serving you the best I know how to do. And now this in my life, you ever said that to God before? 
Have you ever been alone? Nobody's watching. Maybe in front of everybody else, you're super strong. Everybody looks at you as their spiritual rock. But then you get behind closed doors and and you just break when nobody's around. And you say, God, I've served you. I have been faithful. How could this have happened to me? And the anguish of this religious leader, he now remembers this young rabbi that he's heard so much about. The rabbi has been turning the Pharisees and scribes' viewpoint on religion upside down. And he remembers hearing about this young rabbi that had been teaching in the local synagogues. This young rabbi who had been drawing huge crowds. And he remembers having heard of the power that this man wielded to heal. You see, before this, Jesus had healed a man with a withered hand. And of course, there was the tale that we spoke about several weeks ago of the insane man that lived among the tombs. And they said that this young rabbi, Jesus, had healed him. He heard about the story where during a wedding, the rabbi turned water into wine. So whether he's a true prophet or whether he's a charlatan, Jairus didn't know. All he knew was that his daughter was sick and she needed help. And I'm not sure how Jairus knew how to find Jesus because on this particular day, uh, 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 Jesus disembarks from a ship. He just finished arriving there. Great crowds were already there. That The Bible says that a crowd gathered around him. So it's obvious that at this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is probably at the height of his popularity. So Jesus is still on the banks of the sea. Word has begun to spread incredibly quickly that Jesus has returned. And the text actually makes it appear as though Jairus came upon Jesus suddenly. In other words, had stumbled upon Jesus. He had no time to think about what he was going to ask or how to put it into words. He fell at the feet of Jesus and he began to plead, my little girl's sick. She's close to death. Come with me to my home. Lay your hands on her and she will be healed. Notice what it says. Not maybe. Not perhaps. Not let's see what happens. I know. Think about this for a second. And I I picture it as a starstruck person. You ever seen those people on TV? The star comes, the movie uh, actor, the celebrity steps up in the mix, and it's like everyone dies. I'm sure they had rehearsed how they were going to introduce themselves to Justin Bieber and say, hey, I really like you. Can I have your autograph or something? But instead, you ever seen these people that are so crazed that they just fall when they see him? They're so starstruck by him. I'm sure this guy had rehearsed in his mind what he was going to say. He was going uh, to be poised and very politely asked if Jesus would come. But what happens when you're in the midst of a situation and you got to throw all your dignity out the window when you come face to face with Jesus? You see, there's no way to be dignified with tears streaming down our face when we're on our knees begging to God for help. You see... Sometimes we look at people and we criticize the way that they praise because we don't get it. Oh, that person's creepy. Oh, that person's weird. Well, now why do they do that in church? And you know what? Here's, here's my vein on that. As long as it's not disruptive to what God is doing, I think it's okay. And I'm going to tell you why. You don't know what they've been through. In a large church that I was a part of at, at, one, at one point, there was this guy. And every time this guy, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was distracting. It required, you know, a little pulling aside, a little attention. But this guy, we called him that 70s guy. 
okay, and he would stand up on the front right next to the altar, and he would, I mean, he would John Travolta in the middle of the service. I mean, he was like, in the middle of the service, no joke, that's exactly what he would do. So I found it creepy. I'm like, that's weird. Why is that guy doing that? Sure enough, we get invited to a couple's dinner. By this point, I'm the pastor of this church, and I'm sitting down. We happen to be sitting down at a table with him, and he says, and, and we start talking. And he starts kind of talking a little bit. I'm like, wow, you're that 70s guy. <laughs> and he said, yeah, he said, I'm a, I'm a dancer. He goes, I was an actor. And I got into a car accident that destroyed my spine, and I was supposed to be paralyzed my whole life. But God visited me, and God did a work, and that's why I do what I do. So you don't understand why somebody praises the way they do until you understand the story of their life. You see, when you begin to beg Jesus for help and he delivers you, you can't help but get ugly for the Lord. The bill got paid. Hallelujah. The child was delivered. The sickness was healed. And you begin to realize that God's grace is sufficient to handle your condition. And you will be just like Jairus. You will fall down and worship. It wouldn't matter the dignity that you lose, the protocol that you have to throw to the side, as long as you're able to accurately reflect that emotion that you're feeling when Jesus breaks through. You see, it is this man's faith that compels Jesus to follow. Notice that as soon as Jairus spoke his faith, Jesus was attracted by that faith that went with him to heal her. Isn't it interesting that the text does not record that Jesus even spoke a word to the father in need? The Bible doesn't say that there was a conversation that ensued in between this father and Jesus when he went up to him and said, my daughter's sick. It just says that Jesus went along with him. See, look at the text again with me, verse 24. And Jesus went with him. You see, most of us did not even catch the significance of these initial words that begin this verse. You see, initially your faith, when we are first saved, is mirrored in this verse. So when you first come to know Jesus, your faith is absolutely mirrored in this verse. I'm going to explain why. We start our Christian journey simply wanting Jesus to come with us. We almost view him like our omnipotent bodyguard. There, the bodyguard follows you around. The bodyguard makes sure no danger comes your way. The bodyguard will move funny acting folks out of your way. The bodyguard will protect you. He will take care of business for you. And the text says, and Jesus went with him. You see, Jairus must have been feeling good at this point. See, in the midst of this dramatic text, though, something happens. Jesus is interrupted. See, as he and Jairus and the disciples were making their way through the multitude, a woman comes up behind Jesus and secretly touches the hem of his garment. In other words, touches the bottom of the clothes that he was wearing. And Jesus turns around. You see, this was a touch of faith, too. Jesus turns around and he says, who touched me? And his disciples said to him, Lord, you see this huge crowd of people that is pressing against you on all sides. So how can you ask who touched you? Everyone is touching you. But Jesus said, this touch is different because I felt virtue go out of me. Other versions will say, I felt power come out of me. Let me, let me tell you this paraphrase, okay, and I really like the way this author puts it. Someone paraphrased it by saying, someone has made a demand upon my ability. Now put yourself in this father's place. He has desperately made his way through the crowds to Jesus to beg him to come and heal his daughter who is literally 
on death's door. And obviously he wants Jesus to hurry up and come as quickly as possible because there's literally not a moment to lose. She could die at any given moment. Then on the way, some woman sneaks up behind Jesus, and by an act of faith, she makes a demand upon Jesus' ability. And as Jesus stops to minister to her, Jairus is left standing there to watch the scene. Think about that for a second. Put yourself in the dad's shoes. What must he have been thinking at that time? Boy, this isn't fair. This woman has been sick for 12 years, but my daughter is dying right now. I came to Jesus first. He should come with me and heal my daughter. Then he can attend to this woman. And besides, she's unclean. She doesn't even have the right to be here. See, at that time, the Levitical law stated that because this woman had an issue of blood, she was ceremonially unclean. And by law, by Jewish law, she could have been stoned to death just for going out in public. See, I don't know about you, but I have come to learn how to appreciate and thank God for the interruptions that he sends in my life. You see, just when things seem to be going well, here comes an interruption. Just when you are preparing for that promotion, here comes the interruption. Just when your health seems to be improving, here comes the interruption. See, the interruptions that I encounter in my life help me to refocus my attention on God. And to take my sights off of myself and focus that on God's sufficiency. I want to share with you something. Interruptions, interruptions are not sent to harm us, but to help us. See, I'm trying to welcome interruptions as potential gifts of God. After all, God has a much better plan for my day than I do. God has a much better plan for your life than even you do for your life. See, the interruptions in the life of Jairus would be used to elevate his faith to another level. This woman that had interrupted the previous schedule had been suffering for 12 long years. Spent all her money on physicians and, and, and said she had grown worse in her condition. And here Jesus was taking up precious time with this social outcast when it seemed that he should have been dealing with the daughter of the pastor. See, this narrative is evidence to me, and here's what it is evidence to me of. Jesus is no respecter of persons. He'll minister to the highest ranking official. He will minister to the lowest outcasts of society. He had started going along with Jairus in response to his faith, and on the way he stopped and ministered to this poor woman in response to her faith. And this demonstrates the fact that the Lord is not looking for those who have wealth, position, and power. In fact, I would venture to say to you that wealth, position, and power are often some of the things that really stop people from being able to seek God. All he's looking for is someone with enough faith. See, this woman was healed because of her faith. Can you imagine how it's an interruption Jesus why are you pausing Jesus why are you stopping we've got to get to my little girl it's a pause 
But this woman is healed right in front of Jairus' eyes. Remember I shared with you earlier. Here's what I shared with you earlier. I shared with you the fact that Jairus couldn't have known from his own. He only had heard that Jesus had healed. He only heard that Jesus had the ability. So he didn't know. Oh, there's a question mark in his head. It can go any way when Jesus walks into the house as far as he is concerned. Maybe Jesus won't hear her. Maybe Jesus will hear her. All of a sudden, Jairus' spirits are lifted up. He's witnessed the healing miracle for himself. Now he felt. He must have said, oh boy, devil, you must have got me down. I didn't know where I was headed, but I've just seen Jesus do a miracle right before my sight. And if he can do it for that woman, he can do it for my daughter. So his faith must have been lifted up. But let me just share with you something. Here's something that I've learned throughout the course of my ministry. It's why I made mention of it last week. Do you remember I said something last week? I said, we are in one of the largest building programs that we have ever done, venturing into new areas. And here's what I said to the church. I said, please let me focus on this. I want to minister to you, and I don't have a problem with that. I said, but don't bring nasty issues. Now, let me explain what that means. Don't, don't say, I want, I want to complain about this. I want to complain about that. I don't like how this going. I don't like how that going. Because that's not, this is not the time or the place. For any of that nonsense. See, Satan doesn't allow you to enjoy good for long. The message is on the way that is going to burst Jairus' bubble. A message is on the way that will literally rock his world. And as Jesus is talking with the woman, messengers come from Jairus' house to tell him that his daughter had died. So there's no reason to trouble the master. Any further. There's no reason to trouble Jesus any further. Jesus hears what the messengers relate, and immediately he turns to the now shocked father. There's, remember, there's no conversation that occurs prior to that, just simply the father begging for him to come with him. But Jesus turns immediately to the shocked father and he says, Be not afraid, only believe. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, Hey, don't panic. He was telling this man to act just as he had been acting before he would receive this bad report. So now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Help me understand here. Bad report is given. The Bible said as soon as Jesus, as soon as Jesus heard it, he addresses Jairus, be not afraid, only believe. Can I, can I hang my hat here for a minute? Can I settle down on this text for a few short minutes? This is where all too often we fail as Christians. The word, the Bible, the word, the words of Jesus went right to Jairus as soon as the bad news arrived. See, when we receive bad news, we spend too much time doing everything else before going to Jesus about it. We fall out. We cry. We complain. We get on the telephone saying, why me? Then when we're at our breaking point, then we go to Jesus. Jesus immediately addressed and comforted Jairus, and as far as Jesus was concerned, death was no greater a challenge than sickness. I want to repeat that again. As far as Jesus was concerned, death was no greater a challenge than sickness. You see, he knew that he had the power to restore health. But he also knew that he had the power to restore life. This is why he told Jairus, Jairus, don't panic. So I stop and ask you this morning, do you trust me enough to walk with me is the question that Jesus is asking you. Jesus is asking you that question this morning. Do you trust me enough to walk with me? 
Come on, what was Jairus to do? What, did, what do you do when a situation goes from bad to worse? What do you do when your marriage goes from bad to worse? What do you do when your job goes from bad to worse? What do you do when your children go from bad to worse? Or when your finances go from bad to worse? Can, I can hear Jesus asking us this morning, do you trust me enough to walk with me? Do we allow the word of God to immediately penetrate our heart when things go from bad to worse? I can hear Jesus saying to Jairus this morning, I heard the same report as you, Jairus. I heard what he said, but do you trust me enough to walk with me? Can you think about it? If I was that dad, if I was Jairus, if I was that pastor, I would have looked at Jesus and I would have been like, you know, you're asking a lot of me. I've just received news that my, I mean, I'm emotionally ripped up. I'm broken. And you're telling me, did you just hear the same thing that I heard, Jesus? And Jesus says, I heard the same thing you heard. I heard the report, but I'm going to ask you a question. Do you trust me enough to walk with me? See, obviously Jairus' mental and emotional attitude had a great deal to do with what would happen next. And the same is true with us. When the Lord tells us not to be afraid and not to panic, he's not saying that the negative situations that we're facing aren't real. They're real. Just as the situation of Jairus' daughter was real. His daughter was dead. That was fact. This is about as real as it gets. Jesus did not deny the reality of the situation. I just want to speak to you this morning because I realize that there is a vein within Christianity that says if you deny it long enough, then it won't come to pass that way. Well, Jesus is not in the business of denial. He is in the business of confronting reality with his truth. So this is just as real as it's going to get. But he did not did, but he did indicate by his words and actions that it was not the ultimate and final reality. And I think that's the way you need to look at your situation. It's not a denial of what's occurring, but you need to say, the way my grandmother used to say, she used to say, the doctor may have said that. We may be going through this, but God has the final word. See, that's the way you need to look at your life. No matter what happens in your life, in your job, in your church life, in your family life, in your marriage, with your children. This may be the reality of what's going on. I don't deny it, but God has the final word. See, the first thing that Jairus had to understand was the fact that Jesus doesn't do funerals. Oh, Jesus was a... He was a strange rabbi. He was probably one about the only religious leaders. He, he doesn't do funerals really well. You, you get me? Jesus doesn't do funerals really well. See, Jesus was ready to continue walking on to the religious leader's home. You see, let me talk to you a little bit about some history that Jesus had prior to this time and why Jesus doesn't really do funerals really well. You see, he was traveling to the city of Nine when he ran into a funeral procession. And a mother who was a widow already had lost her husband, and they were now carrying the casket of his son. And he stopped the funeral procession. He opened the casket up. He touched the boy on the hand and told him to get up you might remember Lazarus really well there's this biblical story about this dead man named Lazarus he had been in the grave for four days he was stinking up he was rotten not sure why Jesus was hanging around in the outskirts of town while the family mourned the death of their brother and as Jesus approached the tomb Jesus said Lazarus come forth 
You see, Jesus doesn't do funerals really well. He went right on towards Jairus' house. And just as he had been doing before the bad report came, he had started out with Jairus in response to his faith, and he didn't intend to stop now just because the physical circumstances had changed. Jesus didn't come out and tell this man, well, too bad, Jairus, if this woman hadn't stopped me, we might have made it in time. Or he didn't sit down and have a meeting with Jairus and say, it must, it must have not been God's will that your daughter would be healed. You see, if it had been his will, she would have lasted until we would have arrived on the scene. Jesus didn't tell her, I'm really sorry, but it's just too late for me to do anything right now, so I may as well be on my way. Jesus didn't tell her, well, you caught me right now. It's 4.30. I have a 15-minute break at 4.45, and I need to check out at 5.00. And so I'm not available for you any longer. See, see, that's not what Jesus said. That's not what he did. He went right up on towards Jairus' house as if nothing had happened. So here's what Jesus is saying. Do you trust me enough to walk with me? Look at verse 24 again. And Jesus went with him. Things don't look good for this father. News had just arrived that walked his world. But verse 37, after the news had come, I'm going to read to you from the New King James Version. Here's what it said. And he suffered no man to follow him. In other words, Jesus was saying, I want everybody that I don't think has the faith enough to be able to confront this situation. I need you guys to book it because God's about to do something great here. Did you catch that? Jairus was initially in charge. Right? And Jesus went with him, with Jairus. Jairus was the one. Jesus was following Jairus. But did you catch that? Not everyone was required to follow Jesus. The situation had switched up and Jesus said, I'm taking charge. No one now following but Jesus' inner circle on Jairus. You see, your faith cannot escalate until you begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus went with him and now they follow, they're following Jesus. And Jairus was initially in charge, now Jesus is in charge. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Do you remember that text? Do you remember when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me? Do you trust me enough to walk with me? Do you trust me enough to keep on walking with me? You see, I heard the news, I heard the report, but do you trust me enough to walk with me? I'm going to keep on walking to your house. Do you trust me enough to walk with me? I'm going inside of your home despite the report. Do you trust me enough to walk with me? Jesus said, everybody else, you got to go home except for Peter, James, and John. But Jairus, I want to know, do you trust me enough to walk with me? So here we're faced with the, with the conclusion, the ending to this fast-paced narrative. Jesus walked into this house. He took the dead little girl by the hand and said, little girl, I say unto you, arise. And she did. I want you to know that if you walk with Jesus in the times of adversity and in the times of storms, and if you refuse to let go of your faith, Jesus can and will make a way out of no way. Jesus is asking you, do you trust me enough to walk with me? I can resurrect your marriage even though it appears to be dead. Do you trust me enough to walk with me? I can resurrect your finances even though you can't even get credit to buy bubble gum. 
Do you trust me enough to walk with me? Your situation may look dead and hopeless, but if you walk with me, but if you submit to me, do you trust me enough to walk with me? Whatever your eyes see, do you trust that it's not your ultimate reality? Do you trust that I can speak life into whatever situation that you're going through? Do you trust Jesus enough to walk with him? Do you trust that Jesus has another plan for you and your family? Do you trust Jesus? Don't panic. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel this morning. Don't lose your faith. Don't trust your eyes. Don't trust your emotion. Walk by faith. Sometimes it's best, friends, to not even listen to the opinion of others. Walt Disney never built Disney World by listening to the opinion of others. In fact, I have found that some of the greatest people that have ever existed and have accomplished the greatest things in society have often been at the, at the, at the losing end of things more often than they've been at the winning end of things. Let me just share with you just, just, just two quick aspects of things. Thomas Edison failed more times then it actually works. You see, it just needs to work once for the situation to change around. Abraham Lincoln had run for congressional office several times before he finally got his big break. The first election that Barack Obama had, he lost as well. The first election that many individuals have ever had before they have made it to the top. And I'm not talking anything about policy. Please don't. I'm talking about position. I'm talking about role. Individuals have failed long before they have ever reached the top or the height of their industry. So I want to share with you something. Failure is an option. And I will venture to tell you that you will fail more often times than you will succeed. Why? Because we're broken people in need of a redeeming Savior. It's why we gather here in this building, in this church. We gather here in community. Why? We don't need no holier-than-thou folks in here. We're all broken. We're all messed up. If I start to pull things out of your closet, you start to pull things out of mine, you'll find out that, hey, we're just about the same. We struggle. We have deep issues. This is a hospital of mercy and grace. And the second that it stops being that and the second that somebody else tries to promote a different agenda from that, then we'll put the brakes on that. We're here with a purpose, guys. We're not here to waste my time. You're not here. To, to watch some guy, some young guy, talk to you about something that happened 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about something that can happen in your life today. I'm talking about Jesus being present today. I'm talking about Jesus shifting things in your life today. And I have a question, and I've studied this hard, but I have this question this morning for you. Do you trust Jesus enough to walk with him this morning? And if the answer is yes, then despite the many failures that you'll encounter in your life, Jesus will always walk with you through it. And you'll always have this church family to stand side by side with you. That's community. That's what being a part of the church means. Amen. Would you join me in prayer as I ask our worship team to come forward this morning? I just bought a brand new Bible this week. 
It's a paraphrased version of the Bible. It's called The Message. And I just bought it because I wanted to be able to not preach from it. I have a Bible that I preach from. But I just wanted to be able to, to just really just spend time with God and really just kind of get into his word and, and just use it as a, what we call a devotional, just spending time with God. And one of the things that I saw is this. When I, I'm, I'm up to I begun reading the whole Bible. I'm, I'm up to the Exodus. And one of the things that I saw is this. God tells Moses from the get-go. He says, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. He's going to release the people. What God fails to tell Moses is everything that will happen in between then and, and their release. <laughs> and so, but what I found is that at every juncture, after every plague, the Bible says, and God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And I thought, whoa, gee, that's, that's strange. And I know I've read it several times, but it really impacted me. And I said, man, I said, even the most divisive and difficult of situations in your life, could it be that God's hand is on it? Could it be that God's hand is orchestrating something that, that you don't even understand? You see, God is the master of the orchestra. And he sees the beauty of the composition as it is coming together, even though you see it as ugly. The clarinets may be playing messed up. The guitars may not be in tune, but God is working things together. And that's all you see. But, but God is working it out. And sooner or later, the, the clarinet starts to perform on time with the guitar. And the guitar with the cello. And the cello with the flute. And all of a sudden, the masterpiece begins to take shape. And you begin to see what God had been intending on doing the whole time. Don't pay attention to the clarinets. They may look messed up right now, but the orchestra, the master of the orchestra is preparing a wonderful, incredible composition called your life. And I want you to trust him this morning. Would you rise to your feet as we worship the Lord and then I'll gather back up here and we'll pray.